Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This is CNN Breaking News. Welcome to the lead on Jake Tapper. We begin with breaking news in our money lead, a huge loss on Wall Street today. The Dow closing in just a moment down. You hear the bell there, down around 750 points amid an escalation in the U.S.-China trade war. CNN's Allison Kozak is at the New York Stock Exchange. Allison, why? What exactly prompted this big drop? Because of an escalation in this tit-for-tat trade war, that's why we saw these massive losses in the stock market. Overnight, the latest salvo coming from China, devaluing the yuan, its currency, against the dollar. Uh, There also now is a worry that there could be a global currency war on top of the trade war. Now, China is saying that this wasn't a deliberate move, but many believe it is in retaliation for President Trump promising to slap a 10% tariff on the final $300 billion in Chinese goods. That tariff going into effect on September 1st. It's something that White House advisors had tried to get the president not to do because especially of that timing, Jake. It's supposed to go into effect once again on September 1st. That's right in the middle of back-to-school shopping, so that could hit American consumers really hard because that tariff will hit those consumer products and clothing, and American companies are caught right in the middle, Jake. Allison, how long, how much longer should we expect to see this market volatility? And that's why you're seeing this kind of move today, uh, especially with the Dow down over 700 points, because there is no end in sight. Uh, Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin had promised that there could be a solution to this deal by the end of the summer. Well, that looks highly unlikely. And now investors are thinking there's probably not going to be a solution to the trade deal this year. So that puts a lot in question and that increases the volatility. So you're seeing investors reprice stocks because they're expecting corporate America to get hit hard. Jake. Allison Kozak at the New York Stock Exchange. Thank you so much. Turning to our national lead now, a nation devastated. And today the death toll is still rising. 31 people have now been killed after those two mass shootings in a span of 13 hours in the United States. That's nine killed in Dayton, Ohio, and now 22 in El Paso, Texas, where two more people were added to the official death toll earlier today after that white supremacist opened fire at the Walmart on Saturday. Police officials telling CNN that the alleged terrorist has shown no remorse for the shooting and has been cold in his interactions with police. In Dayton, officials today are saying that the shooter, who was killed early Sunday morning by police, may have had up to 250 rounds in his possession. They recovered at least 41 spent shell casings. The friend who had traveled to the Dayton Entertainment District with the gunman and the gunman's sister, who he killed, is being treated in the hospital. Police hope to learn more from that friend. Now, while much of the national conversation since the shootings has been about guns and about white supremacist ideology, President Trump today in his remarks tried to focus on instead mental health and on what he called a culture of violence, blaming the internet and video games, at least in part. The president also tweeted that the violence was the fault of the news media. A short time ago, former President Obama released a rare and rather pointed statement saying, quote, We should soundly reject language coming out of the mouths of any of our leaders 
that feeds a climate of fear and hatred or normalizes racist sentiments? Leaders who demonize those who don't look like us or suggest that other people, including immigrants, threaten our way of life, unquote. A fairly clear reference to President Trump. CNN's Ed Lavendera has more now from El Paso, where hate has left a town in tatters. He has no regret and no remorse. That's how police are describing the white supremacist suspected of killing 22 people at this El Paso Walmart Saturday. The death toll jumped this afternoon after patients died from their wounds in area hospitals. We are deeply saddened to be here today uh, to have to tell you uh, that two patients have passed. 21-year-old Patrick Crucius has been charged with capital murder and prosecutors say they will pursue the death penalty. When he turned himself into police in the parking lot, officers say he looked nothing short of evil. Crucius is cooperating with police as investigators pour over a racist, hate-filled document he allegedly posted online just 20 minutes before opening fire. I'm probably going to die today, the Post read, and warned of a Hispanic invasion of Texas. Authorities say the massacre that followed was an act of domestic terrorism. At least seven Mexican citizens are also among the dead. I know. When news broke, Jimmy Viatoro and Ray Garcia rushed to the scene. They helped rescue five young children who had been holding a sports team fundraiser with their parents outside. They were screaming, shouting, where's my dad? Is my mom dead? Is my, you know, are they alive? I told them they're all okay. We're going to get them out of here. Many of the parents had jumped between their children and the gunman. Jimmy and Ray found the children unhurt, hiding underneath cars in the parking lot. I get the kids out, go back, get the mom. She had been shot in her legs. Just 13 hours after El Paso's tragedy, another gunman murdered nine people outside of a nightclub in Dayton, Ohio. Surveillance video captured the chaos as 24-year-old Connor Betts takes aim from behind body armor and a mask. Police say he had as many as 250 rounds of ammunition with him, along with this modified double-barreled weapon. The shooter had a gun that he got legally uh, with magazines that he got legally. A gun that can kill nine people and injure 26 more in the course of 24 seconds. In less than a minute, officers shot and killed the gunman who had come to the popular nightlife district with his sister and a friend. He had separated from the group and came back shooting. When the rampage ended, his sister was dead. Police today still are unsure if she was an intentional target. It seems to just defy believability he would shoot his own sister. But it's also hard to believe that he didn't recognize that was his sister. Um, So we just don't know. Officials have yet to determine a motive, but former high school classmates say the shooter was, quote, dark and depressive. Some say he also had a kill list for boys and a rape list for girls. As grief takes hold of both El Paso and Dayton today, so does confusion and rage. Why? Why does this have to keep happening? And Jake, this Walmart parking lot behind me has become a therapeutic place where many people have come, lay flowers, and mourn together. And the one question, Jake, that many people you hear over and over talking about here in the city, how this gunman could get in his car, drive 10 hours, and nowhere along the way of that long drive have any second thoughts or remorse about what he was about to do. Jake? Bandera in El Paso, thank you so much for that, sir. We appreciate it. I want to go now to Dayton, Ohio. Uh, joining me are Sharon Henderson and Chelsea Jones. They both witnessed 
the horrific shooting in the early morning hours of Sunday. Uh, first of all, we're, we're so glad that you're both safe. Uh, uh, thank you so much for being willing to talk to us. Um, Sharon, you were waiting in line, you say, when you heard gunshots and you saw the shooter. Tell us, tell us what happened. Um, well, I typically uh, go in first for whatever reason. So I was standing in line and I had just handed the security guard my ID. He checked my age and he went to hand it back. And when he handed it back, um, I immediately heard gunshots behind us. And like now, typically when we're down here together, we're always holding hands. And I just happened to have her hand at that moment. And when he gave my ID back, we heard the gunshots. He literally grabbed me by the back of my neck and he said, run. And so we just ran inside because there wasn't anywhere else to go. Chelsea, Chelsea, what was the scene like after the shooter was gunned down, which I I understand was fairly quickly uh, after he started shooting? Um, It was quick. Um, However, we had no idea that it was the actual shooter. We actually saw him go down, but we, we thought it was a security guard outside of the club. So afterwards, they turned the lights on in the club and the security guards that were inside just told us to, you know, get out of there as quick as we can. So everybody kind of scurried out of there. I do remember us kind of being the last two people to leave the club. And um, as we were able to leave the parking lot, which was maybe 20 minutes or so later, I just remember seeing bodies and sheets, you know, just riddled all over the sidewalk throughout the Oregon district. And and Sharon, this uh, area of Dayton, as I recall, it's it's usually perfectly safe, uh, very festive, a lot of people walking around happy, having a good time? Yes, well, typically, like, we choose to come down to the Oregon instead of any of the other clubs in Dayton because that's where we feel safest. And it's ironic because we were on the phone with a friend on our way down here, and they asked us, like, hey, where are you guys hanging out tonight? And we were just kind of like, of course we're going to the Oregon. That's the place that we feel safest. Like, and that those were literally my words you know, before we came down. And so to come down here and be down here, I mean, we were on Snapchat. We were taking pictures together, videos together, like we always do. And we just never expected anything like this to happen. I would have never expected anything like this to happen here. We walked through the parking lot where the police usually, um, where they usually congregate. There was like four or five cruisers there. They were kind of all in a huddle, talking to each other and everything. You know, we say, hey, how are you doing? We make sure we make eye contact so that like, you know, I see you and you see me, right. and we know that we're safe. And this is honestly the last place that I thought in the whole city of Dayton that anything like this would ever happen. Chelsea, and then and then Shavon, how are you, how are you doing? I mean, this is a traumatic event you went through. Are you okay? I think okay is um, okay For is a big word. A like we're alive word. and we're very blessed to be alive. We're blessed to be together. We're blessed to have been down here together and have made it out together. Um, But I honestly wouldn't say, okay, you know, I feel very bad and almost selfish for even feeling bad about what we went through, considering the fact that there are people who actually lost their lives down here right in front of us. Um, But, you know, like I said, I'm very blessed. I'm blessed to have come down here with my best friend and to have left with my best friend intact in one piece. Nothing more than a hurt hip and a hurt ankle, you know, from being trampled, but no gunshots, no real wounds. And, you know, we'll heal. We'll pray. We'll be together. We have our families. We have our children. My husband, you know, her fiance will be together and we'll be fine. But, you know, there are people that really lost their lives down here and lost their family members that they'll never get back. And that is heavy on our hearts, as well as what, you know, what if 10 seconds in one direction or the other. And the story could have been different for us as well. 
So just honestly, just just truly blessed to be alive. But no, I, I honestly can't say that I'm okay. Understandable. Chelsea, how are you? Um, you know, I have to agree for the most part. I constantly have the what ifs, you know, playing in the back of my head. I, I try not to, but they are. And like she said, you know, 10 seconds one way or the other. I have so many what ifs. That night we actually got in line with a friend that I haven't seen since elementary school. And had she not been there, we would have been in the back of that line. We'd have been at the end of the line, you know, closer to the shooter. And I just cannot imagine. Between the two of us, we have six beautiful kids. And I just, I, I don't have any words. Um, I don't really know how to feel. I am, you know, at least happy, like she said, that we are here together and that we were, you know, we survived that that situation. But it is very traumatic for me, and we're just taking it one day at a time. All right. Chelsea and Sharon, thank you so much. We're so glad you're okay. We're so glad that those kids still have moms. Thank uh, you for Appreciate it. Us. Thanks for talking to us today. Appreciate we appreciate it. it. President Trump condemned white supremacy today, but does one speech from a teleprompter make up for Decades of rhetoric to the contrary. Stay with us. With shock, horror, and sorrow. In our politics lead today, President Trump today condemning racism, bigotry, and white supremacy, though he made no acknowledgement of his own rhetoric, which even former White House staffers and Republican members of Congress have called racist or racially divisive. This, after two mass shootings, left 31 people dead, a death count that grew today by two. A source telling CNN that the president has also ordered his team to come up with possible proposals, a few of which he laid out in his speech earlier today. But after suggesting background checks for gun purchases may be a solution in a tweet, the president stayed away from any mention of gun laws in his spoken remarks today and instead focused on this. Mental illness and hatred pulls the trigger, not the gun. CNN's Boris Sanchez picks up our coverage now from the White House. President Trump with his first significant remarks following this weekend's two mass shootings. These barbaric slaughters are an assault upon our communities, an attack upon our nation, and a crime against all of humanity. Reading from a teleprompter, Trump zeroed in on the El Paso suspected gunman's alleged motive, outlined in a racist anti-immigrant screed posted online moments before the attack. The shooter in El Paso posted a manifesto online consumed by racist hate. But the president failed to mention the accused shooter mirroring some of his own language about immigrants. This is an invasion. That's an invasion. Invasion. We have a country that's being invaded. The president's use of invasion on camera and in tweets echoed in the alleged gunman's manifesto, where he refers to a Hispanic invasion despite him writing that Trump didn't originally inspire his views. Our nation must condemn racism, bigotry, and white supremacy. These sinister ideologies must be defeated. Hate has no place in America. Trump's speech also laid out several policy ideas to address mass shootings, but didn't mention gun control measures like background checks, a noticeable change from his tweet just a couple of hours before when he wrote, that Congress should pass strong background checks, perhaps marrying them with desperately needed immigration reform. Instead, Trump on camera repeating Republican talking points, tying mass shootings to social media, mental health issues, and violent video games. Mental illness and hatred pulls the trigger, 
not the gun. And advocating for the death penalty and so-called red flag laws. We must make sure that those judged to pose a grave risk to public safety do not have access to firearms. Jake, the National Rifle Association put out a statement praising President Trump's remarks, saying that they welcome the president's call to address the root causes of the horrific acts of violence that have occurred in our country. No mention in this statement of the background checks that President Trump alluded to in those tweets, but failed to mention in his speech, Jake. All right, Boris Sanchez at the White House for us. Thanks so much. So let's chew over all this. And Alexander, let me start with you, because President Obama uh, just gave what I think it's fair to call a fairly pointed, even if he didn't go after Trump by name, a statement. Let me just read part of it. We should soundly reject language coming out of the mouths of any of our leaders that feeds a climate of fear and hatred or normalizes racist sentiments. Leaders who demonize those who don't look like us or suggest that other people, including immigrants, threaten our way of life. Um, at this point, why not mention President Trump if that's who it's aimed at? I mean, I, I would agree. I think President Obama is trying to toe the line of, like, you know, making sure that we're uniting the country because it's a really in- incredibly scary time right now. Uh, I don't think anyone, as much as they want to say thoughts and prayers or whatever, has an answer because the reality is is that politicians on both sides have really failed the American people, right? We have not adequately solved gun violence in this country. Uh, and so I think it's important to, to name what needs to be named, but also highlight that America does not have a monopoly on racism and sexism and bigotry. Uh, but what we do and, and what is unique about the United States from the rest of the world is our access and ability to have just so many weapons of, of warfare that are, you know, in American hands and on mm-hmm. the street. So I think, you know, Barack Obama was, again, trying to toe that line of inspiring people, but also needing to, you know, condemn and say what needs to be done. And uh, Bill, um, a new Washington Post op-ed says this quote, you can't be mourner in chief or healer in chief when you've spent your entire political career stoking the hate and championing the white supremacy, you now decry. Obviously, uh, they don't think that President Trump, in their view, can fill the role that people want a president to fill. Yeah, I think we're long past him filling that role. I mean, I suppose if he had actually taken some responsibility, it didn't have to be exclusive responsibility, but it said, you know, a lot of us have said things we now, at this moment especially, that we regret. I have too. He doesn't have to say he's the only one. He can leave it somewhat vague. But he had to take some kind of personal responsibility after his performance over years, obviously pre-presidential and presidential, but especially the last few weeks, which has just been a torrent of abuse of, you know, send them back and uh, Elijah Cummings in Baltimore, and then, you know, gloating about the robbery of Representative Cummings' house and then everything else. I mean, so, it, yeah, it makes it, I think his speech was perfunctory. President Obama's statement was awfully good. You know, I voted against him twice, and I don't regret that. I would have preferred John McCain and Mitt Romney's policies, but that was a presidential statement. We're not going to get that kind of presidential statement or leadership, I think, from this president, which does make it important for others to act, I do think, or mm-hmm. others to step forward and speak. I do think, actually, there's a case for Congress coming back. Uh, maybe the Senate won't pass these different gun control proposals. Uh, I, don't, I don't think it's enough for Nancy Pelosi simply to say the Senate should come back. Maybe the House could come back, too, and they could both do a little bit of tri- attempted governing, at least, at this moment when the country yeah. needs to see some responsible behavior from, from, from elected and officials. I, I will say that there's H.R. 8, which is literally sitting on McConnell's yeah. desk. Right. We're going to talk about that later in the show. <laughs> Hold your horses on that. Yeah. But on the reaction, and you mentioned President Obama's comments, which I think were, were very good, very appropriate. But... I think he struck a tone that some Democratic candidates didn't. When you hear uh, Beto O'Rourke or a uh, Cory Booker really going after the press and basically saying he's racist and he's encouraging and inspiring this type of uh, 
acts of violence, I think that's just preposterous and irresponsible. Look, I've been critical of the president's comments in the past. I don't think they help create an environment of, uh, of consensus, of, 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 of an environment that is constructive. But there's a lot of hate, unfortunately, uh, on both sides. Now, the president is the president. He's the, the head of state, head of government. Uh, he has a responsibility. He's made some statements in the past that, that have been offensive. But to call him, you know, a white nationalist and that that he is responsible for mm-hmm. this, I think it's totally irresponsible. And I think it's too early to make that type of comment. I don't I think it might be unproductive. I don't think it's it's I don't think they're off. Uh, we've talked about this before. White nationalists identify him as white nationalists. Now, is it productive? No. But it's I think the time to do it even. That it, it's always a time to call out what needs to be called out. I think um, trying to whitewash it or, or sweep it under the, the rug is uh, not helping either. Uh, the, the problem is, um, as Tupac says, Trump is a, a reflection of his community. There are too many people who believe as he does. Uh, there are too many people who are not willing to step up for gun reform. Um, the NRA doesn't have power just because of money. The NRA has power because it has voters right. who are not convinced that any of the things that you talk about both parties have failed, that any of the things uh, that are in the House and the Senate are the answers to the problems of gun violence. And, and stand by because we're going to talk more about that uh, later in the show. Coming up, the website that's been a megaphone for bigots that hosted the El Paso shooter's racist rant. That website pulled down as authorities struggling are struggling to track hate in the wild west of the Internet. Stay with us. In our tech lead today, just moments before taking 22 innocent lives, the alleged El Paso terrorist uploaded a hate-filled screed to a website called 8chan. That's a public website used by many groups and individuals, but also in particular by racists to spread their toxic thoughts. Three of the recent racist killers in El Paso uh, Poe, California, and in New Zealand, all used 8chan message boards to share their anti-Semitic, xenophobic, and racist agendas. As CNN's Sarah Seidner reports for us now, law enforcement is struggling to keep up with and regulate these dark online communities. Minutes before the chaos and terror unleashed on families shopping at Walmart in El Paso, the accused gunman may have spelled out why he waged war on innocence. A hate-filled manifesto railing against immigrants, calling it the Hispanic invasion. The Post also praises ideas set forth in another manifesto written by the person identifying himself as the Christchurch New Zealand shooter who massacred 51 people as they prayed in two mosques in March. And months later, police believe another racist suspect posted an open letter minutes before shooting up a California synagogue. All of them posted in the same place, 8chan, a public website that is a racist virtual paradise. I think 8chan is among one of the more influential sites that uh, plays a role in radicalizing young men when it comes to far-right extremism. It is just one of many open forums that host hatred. 4chan, Gab, and the neo-Nazi site Daily Stormer are favorites of white supremacists and neo-Nazis. What we have now are attacks that are not only designed to kill, but they're designed to be replicated online, to spread their poison across the internet, and to, uh, and to inspire others. These websites and forums use companies that provide infrastructure for the sites to run smoothly online. Cloudfare, run by Chief Executive Matthew Prince, serviced the Daily Stormer until 2017, when he faced pressure to drop it after the deadly violence in Charlottesville, Virginia. Last night, 
Cloudfair dropped 8chan, calling the site lawless and that it caused multiple tragic deaths. And another service provider, Voxility, earlier today also dropped 8chan. 8chan has not responded to CNN's inquiries. One of the administrators of 8chan has said on Twitter that we will be moving to another service ASAP. Please excuse any downtime. For their part, law enforcement is grappling with how to keep up with these forums. In July, the FBI put out requests for bids for social media monitoring companies so investigators can mitigate multifaceted threats. But if the sites are shut down, it could make it harder for law enforcement to monitor. The FBI can't simply troll through websites. There has to be a predicated investigation. But even if they could, they would be hampered by the fact that there's so much garbage out there on these sites. Also, rarely do these shooters telegraph in advance the carnage that they're about to cause. In a congressional hearing on domestic terrorism this year, Homeland Security officials were asked about how to deal with these sites. Their response? An uncomfortable silence. Do you have any recommendations for what can be done to address the viral hate speech and incitement of violence uh, found on fringe sites like 8chan and Gab? And that's for any of you. Y'all don't have any suggestions for us? That's scary. That is scary. Uh, and a lot of people are talking about what to do next. Uh, we do have to mention, you know, obviously in this country, Jake, that uh, hate speech has been by the Supreme Court uh, protected as free speech. What is not protected is inciting people to violence. And that line is easily blurred on places like 8chan. Uh, what has to be talked about if you talk to law enforcement is a multifaceted approach to dealing with this. But certainly the problem of white supremacy and violence isn't going away anytime soon. Jake? All right, Sarah Seidner covering hate groups for us. Thank you so much. Uh, my panel of law enforcement experts joins me now. And Julia, Kanyan, let me start with you. The president today said, quote, yeah. we must shine a light on the dark recesses of the internet and stop mass murderers before they start. What does that actually look like in practice? How do you police the internet? So there's a couple ways that we can be better at policing it. But I just want to make clear, because um, I think people have a misconception of what radicalization is. It is not an on-off switch. It's not like if we get 8chan off of, uh, off of a platform, everyone is going to love each other and it's going to be kumbaya. The, the networks and the social media are a reflection of the sort of bad ideologies that are out there. So I begin with creating a criminal liability for being a domestic terrorist. So I think we begin with a federal statute that makes domestic terrorism a crime. And then the platforms, the way people interact, the, uh, uh, the, um, uh, the potential collusion or other criminal activity that's going on actually is unlawful. And I think unless you have that predicate of criminality, whatever is happening is going to be absolutely, it's going to be almost impossible to regulate because it's all perfectly legal. So I think we need to begin with the criminal laws and then, you know, let the social media platforms follow suit, much like we do with child pornography. Mm. It's unlawful, and therefore, it seems like the social media platforms are able to get that stuff off pretty easily. Uh, Josh Campbell, uh, let me go to you. Uh, you used to work at the FBI. Uh, the former deputy director of the FBI was on my show, State of the Union, yesterday, and he said something very similar to Juliet, which is that the FBI needs more tools. They have, if it's international terrorism, if it's ISIS-inspired, they have a whole bunch of more tools uh, at the ready than they do if it is a white supremacist. Now, there are going to be libertarians and people concerned with civil, liberty, civil liberties that think, you know what, this is just uh, law and justice types uh, trying to do a power grab. You know, Americans have the right 
a free association and free speech, no matter how heinous it is. How do you get around that? Yeah, let me get to libertarian peace in a second and talk about what you first mentioned about this distinction between what can be done under international terrorism laws and this domestic terrorism issue. I'll give you an example. I was in the FBI conducting terrorism investigations. If someone was associated with a group like ISIS or Al Qaeda, that was a federal crime. And I could bring to bear a host of resources from the U.S. government to mitigate threats, to send people to jail for providing material support to those groups. That is not the same when we're talking about white supremacists, which gets to Juliet's point earlier about these laws. And this is something that uh, organizations like the FBI Agents Association have been calling for, giving them these tools. And think about what criminal law is in the United States. It's an outward manifestation of what we are willing to accept and what we reject as a society. So that is the starting point to say, look, we don't even accept this hate speech that might lead to violence. We have to push these people back into the dark recesses of their corners. And the way you do that is through the criminal law. Real quick, as you mentioned, the libertarian angle, it's a valid argument. Who is going to police uh, this kind of speech? But what it comes down to is this scene behind me right here at Walmart, where a shooter came here, a white supremacist, and went from being radicalized to conducting violence. It's a conversation that we have to have, because if we just say that we can't police this, then we're nowhere. We have to move the ball forward, and that starts with a discussion on criminal law. Lupe, let me bring you in. You're the former county sheriff sure. of Dallas, so the El Paso mm-hmm. shooting uh, hits especially close to home. Do you think if sites such as HN were monitored more closely at a federal level that local governments would be able to keep better tabs on these individuals making threats of violence. Look, we've got to have warning signs. The red flag laws are a, are a dead giveaway to us. No person who cannot settle their disagreements through other than violence should ever have a weapon. So therefore, we should be able to see ahead aggressive behaviors, mental health, mental health aggressive behaviors, areas where it's obvious that their behavior is not normal as to what everybody else's behavior is. We need to have those warning signs so we can look ahead and try to stop this violence. What we've done hasn't worked. So why don't we try something else now, such as red flag laws, uh, uh, criminal background laws, all of these um, gun show gun show laws, all of these things that may make a difference. Some people are saying there may not. But what we've tried so far hasn't worked. So why don't we try something else? Lupe, Josh, Julia, thank you so much for your time, for your expertise. We appreciate it. Coming up, it's one of the things President Trump did not talk about in his speech, and it's an area where Americans surpass any other country in the world. Stay with us. We have some breaking news for you. Former Vice President Joe Biden just sat down with CNN's Anderson Cooper. The 2020 presidential candidate talked about this weekend's horrific mass shootings. Take a listen. That may be behind the rhetoric you're saying, an effort basically to, to stoke white supremacists or white nationalists to at least give them a dog whistle. Well, it is, it, they do have a dog whistle. They do have a dog whistle. Look, this, this is a president who has said things no other president has said since Andrew Jackson. Nobody said anything like the things he's saying. And the idea that doesn't contribute to or legitimate or make it more rational for people to think that we, in fact, can now speak out. We can speak out and be more straightforward and we can make this an issue. We've been through this before. 
We went through this before in, in, the, in, in the 20s with the Ku Klux Klan, 50,000 people walking down Pennsylvania Avenue in pointed hats and their robes because they, in fact, decided they didn't want any Catholics coming into the country. We went through it after the Civil War in terms of the Ku Klux Klan and white supremacy. This is about separating people into good and bad in his mind. It's about making, it's about an access to power. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a trait used by charlatans all over the world. Divide people, divide them, pit them against one another. If that's the case, I mean, it is a very dangerous game then that he is playing. Oh, no, no, there's no question it's a dangerous game. There's no question that his rhetoric has contributed to, at a minimum, at a minimum, of dumbing down the way in which we as a society talk about one another. The way we, we've always been, look, we've always brought the country together. We've never, you know, we the people, we hold these truths self-evident. He flies in the face of all the basic things that we've never really met the standard, we've never abandoned it before. He looks like he's just flat abandoned the theory that we are one people. And you can watch the rest of Anderson's interview with the former vice president tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern, only on CNN. Uh, What some lawmakers are blaming for the mass shootings is causing division, plus the proposals being floated. We're going to discuss it with our panel of experts next. Stay with us. We're back with our politics lead. Former Vice President Joe Biden just spoke with CNN's Anderson Cooper about the two mass shootings that this country experienced in the last uh, 13 hours. Uh, Let's talk about this. It was interesting he was critical of President Trump, but in a way that I thought was much more restrained than what we heard over the weekend from the other Democratic presidential candidates, Beto O'Rourke and Bernie Sanders saying that he's a white nationalist, President Trump. Uh, and what we heard from Joe Biden just there, and there's a whole interview, so who knows, maybe he went farther, uh, was he thinks that at a minimum Donald Trump has dumbed down the way we talk about each other. Is that, an, is that enough red meat for the Democratic base right now? I don't think the Democratic base needs red meat. We want solutions. I think he took a page out of his best friend Barack's book uh, when he was talking about what he he failed to name Trump, but really made the point about policy. We have to get beyond the name calling. We have to get beyond the back and forth and figure out how we're going to move our country forward. And I think that's what Biden was doing. He could have very easily gone low and, uh, you know, started name calling. But where would we be? We wouldn't be talking about the policies that he that he believes will make our country safer. Do you do you agree? I saw a lot of conservatives criticizing Beto O'Rourke for saying that that Donald Trump is a white supremacist and and Bernie Sanders agreed with that. What, What did you think? Well, I think Beto was being extremely courageous in the moment that demands us to be. I mean, this is pretty historic. You do have the president of the United States intentionally weaponizing racism to divide and conquer America and hoard greed and mass wealth for himself. And like, we have to be willing to to name that. So I think, you know, with Barack and and Biden, they're going to continue to sort of maybe not explicitly name names. And I think that's that's fair. But at the same time, it's not just about unity. It's also about, you know, painting a vision for the future and like bringing people together around a positive vision. And I think Beto and Biden are trying to balance both Uh, those things. Look, I think Biden was uh, his comments uh, were the comments of a statesman. And I think it's happening on the Republican side. It's happening on the Democratic side where both are using language that just promotes confrontation. Yes, I've been critical of the president, but we've heard also Democrats make some very troubling uh, comments that are divisive. I mean, when President Obama uh, was a candidate and talked about Republicans holding on to the Bibles, that was offensive to Christians. Recently, Kamala Harris, on a uh, nomination hearing of a Catholic judicial nominee, mm-hmm. denounced him for being a member of the Knights of Columbus. 
That's pretty radical. I guess the difference is right what now is the there's difference? 22 people that are that are dead from gun gun violence, and this is I, recurring. We were just talking in the at break, the same you know, time so our president I think it's, I think it's laughed. Be a at the same time our president laughed when people in his audience suggested that they shoot Mexicans. That's the problem. No, I agree. This wasn't this wasn't years ago. But it would yeah, be, this, be very is, wrong to say it's only Donald Trump. And it seems that a lot of no, people are talking about it. I think it's very wrong Trump to not acknowledge that it is Donald Trump. But, but I'm acknowledging Trump that is a Trump. symptom of many problems, but right. his rhetoric has directly led to the deaths of these people. And I think not just Donald Trump, you're right. It's career politicians in Washington, D.C. Well. It's the NRA. It's multi billion dollar lobbying operations that are literally paying from, to halt progress left on this issue. Right. You, yeah. you just said that the, the rhetoric le- directly led to the deaths. You think, I mean, that's an opinion. You believe that Donald Trump's rhetoric directly led to these. From the, every single time he's been on the campaign trail, even before he went into office, he says Mexicans are rapists. Uh, this is a president that has been accused of, you know, obstructing justice, has been accused of rape <laughs> uh, before becoming president. And now there are a number of different things that this president mm. has done, and especially you know, racial rhetoric. Is I, I am interested in what you think, Bill. Do you, how much responsibility do you think President Trump has for the climate in which there are these horrific acts of violence? And, and we should note the major acts of violence that have happened when, when, with all the talk of both sides and, and everything. The, the horrific acts of violence have been from the far right wing, the, the Tree of Life synagogue shooting, uh, what, what happened uh, in El Paso. Look, he's president. I think a, a recklessly demagogic and divisive uh, and, and at times hate-inducing uh, 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 president uh, figure who's president is different from random governors and congressmen and people, pundits, saying irresponsible things. There's a climate out there. There are a million institutional problems and other cultural problems. Yes, I think Trump has a distinctive responsibility for what's happening. I think we can all agree it all needs to be drowned. The temperature needs to be brought down. Thanks one and all. Appreciate it. Uh, Next, we're going to remember some of the victims of this weekend's tragedy. Stay with us, please. Today, we're learning more about the 31 men and women, parents and children, killed in two horrific mass shootings over the weekend. Here are just a few of their stories. 24-year-old Jordan Anchando and her husband Andre They were killed in the El Paso shooting. According to their family, Jordan died shielding her two-month-old son, Paul, from the gunfire. Jordan and Andre also leave behind a five-year-old and a two-year-old. There's a verified GoFundMe pinned to the top of my Twitter feed if you want to help their family. Also killed in El Paso, 60-year-old Arturo Benavides. His niece, Luna, tells CNN that he was a veteran and a bus driver. He loved to tell stories about his time in the Army. Then there is 25-year-old Nicholas Kumer. He was killed in Dayton. Nicholas was one week away from finishing up an internship at a nonprofit for cancer patients. He was about to graduate with his master's degree. Twenty-seven other innocent lives were lost in these two tragedies. Our hearts are with their families and their friends today in the cities of Dayton and El Paso. May their memories be a blessing. Our coverage on CNN continues right now. I'll see you tomorrow. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. 
Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.